0: Welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes. I'm Tom Hayes and you're tuning in for our 88th videocast and 78th podcast for the week ending June 25th, 2021. We have a lot of great stuff to cover this week and we're coming to you live from Tampa. The girls have another swim meet down here so we're excited for that and uh, want to first off uh, we'll start with our media spots go through some of the key uh, important information in those, and then we'll get right down to the meat and potatoes. So, first, I'd like to thank Ellie Terrett and Liz Clayman for having me on the Clayman Countdown on Tuesday. And the subject was the uh, Chair Powell's testimony to, um, to Congress. And basically, it came down to a couple of key things. Um, despite Bullard's hawkishness on Friday that threw the markets into a tailspin. Uh, Powell reiterated that he believes inflation is transitory due to base effects and short-term supply bottlenecks, as well as a point he made was that the downturn disproportionately hurt low-wage workers. And that specifically means out of the uh, dual-pronged mandate of stable prices and full employment, he's choosing full employment. He wants anyone who wants a job to get a job across demographics and he'll run the economy hot until that happens. He has perfect cover to do that. Unemployment was 3.5% last February uh, in 2020 before the pandemic. It's 5.8% now with 9.3 million unemployed. And Powell's driving the bus. So it's pedal to the metal. uh, And he said explicitly last week, take the dot plot with a huge grain of salt, meaning his colleagues who are saying 2022 rate, rate rises uh, are uh, premature in their viewpoints, and uh, which means effectively no taper until 2022, no rate rise until 2023. And the yield sensitive groups that we've been speaking about, namely te- whatever got hit Earlier in the year, when the 10-year went from 100 basis points to 175 basis points in six weeks, namely tech, utilities, uh, staple, and pharma, specific pockets in those groups, could now start to see some strength over the summer. We've already seen it uh, in a material way in the last three weeks since we've been pounding the table for tech, specific pockets of tech, and we'll talk more about that uh, on this call. And um, and this is a period of seasonal strength. If you look past the last 20 years, these groups tend to do well uh, when the rest of the market tends to go sideways, which is from you know May through October. Um, and then finally, of course, for the market to push higher, uh, um, big tech would have to participate because they're still over, well over 20 percent of the weight of the S&P 500. And we've been seeing that in recent uh, days and weeks. So Splunk, we emphasize because we've been pounding the table on that for the last three or four weeks. And Splunk is now up, since we uh, suggested it on Liz's show, it's now up about 30%. Um, and that was catalyzed. Uh, so yeah, it was down at a 111. It's now, uh, it got up to 143. It closed the week around 141. So about 30 points that's good to see silver lake put a billion dollar investment put someone on the board it's a convertible debt uh instrument that converts at 160 dollars per share so um so basically that will be the short-term ceiling except for the fact that splunk authorized a billion dollar buyback to offset that billion dollars of what could be potential dilution at $160. So it's a net net and they've got Silver Lake behind them and they see what we see, which is that this is no, no different than Microsoft's transition from life licensing and software, uh, Adobe's transition from licensing to, uh, and software to uh, cloud and subscription model, and uh and they're just crushing it so that's exciting to see and we think that's just just beginning um obviously after a huge move in the last uh hand you know week or so 30 points expect some consolidation it doesn't you know it doesn't go straight up but uh it's it's on its way which is it's finally out of the doghouse which is really really exciting and if for those of you have been with us if you recall after they did earnings about three weeks ago the stock collapsed from 120 it started going up into earnings we were you know optimistic about it after earnings it collapsed to 111 and we were buying and we said that on this podcast and uh, and now it's off to the races again so that's good to see uh the other stocks that we've covered in recent weeks on the claim and countdown are netflix amazon and baba they're all getting bid we're going to spend a lot of time on those um and then we also said that um while we like these type of names over the summer and some defensives, we do believe that the reopening trade will, while it may take a breather over the summer, will come back in earnest uh, at the end of the year as we get closer to tapering in 2022, and uh, certainly some of this infrastructure spending and reconciliation package that has been talked about this week will start to come to pass and the market will come to grips with the amount of spending. Rates will go up and and the reopening trade will benefit. Value will benefit in a rising rate environment tech uh, tends to do better in a stable or falling rate environment so uh we like that over the summer and we'll adjust in the fall and probably be taking profits on on some of these things that we've been emphasizing for the last three weeks uh as we get closer to the fall so uh that was the uh and countdown so thanks again to ellie terrett moving right along uh we had a, a great bloomberg radio interview um on Wednesday, with Brian Curtis and Paul Allen on Bloomberg Daybreak Asia, it aired. Uh, if you were in your car at 7 eight pm. in New York City, uh, it was the whole half hour through 7:30 uh, with all the commercials and all the announcements. Now, the original recording I put out on the site was the full, whatever it was, 23 or 25 minutes. Um, Bloomberg has put it up directly on their website without any of the commercials, without any of the interruptions. And it's only about seven and a half or eight minutes. You can click on this link here at hedgefundtips.com and play it. I think this is really a worthwhile listen because it goes into a tremendous amount of detail on Alibaba. Um, it covers obviously the Fed things that we've talked about, inflation, et cetera. But it goes into the three reasons that Chinese stocks were down. The ARCA goes blow up, the Chinese crackdowns, and the inflation fears earlier in the year. Uh, And then it goes into the six reasons why we like BABA. It's trading at a 33% discount to its historic uh, P.E. multiple. It has traded at 28 times since going public. It's trading at 18 times next year's earnings right now. So you're getting it at a huge discount. Um, you can buy it at uh, June 2018 prices, uh, despite its doubled cash flow per share, doubled revenue per share, doubled earnings per share, so double the business for the same price. The Ant Financial IPO, we're going to talk about that one today. There's been some new developments that we've been anticipating, but they're starting to show up. We now think that that IPO will probably happen, which was not a real possibility a month ago, and we had been kind of leaning in that direction on these recent uh, podcasts uh, obviously the growth of aW uh, of AliCloud relative to AWS it could catch AWS in a handful of years uh, the fact that the government and Chinese government needs Alibaba due to their du- dual circulation plan they have to keep internal consumption growing as a hedge to a more difficult, export environment. They're having difficulties with Australia. The U.S. is trying to get Europe to join them to put a little pressure. Uh, Probably won't won't do much there because Europe needs China much more than the United States does. Um, But they do want to keep the internal consumption. And to do that, you obviously want to have the biggest platform in the country, which is Alibaba. And they need the Ant Financial platform to roll out the digital yuan. Uh, And now they're doing a joint venture with the government uh jack ma controls ant financial uh and they've agreed to give the government their data to do a nationwide credit scoring um service kind of like equifax and that type of thing in the united transunion in the united states uh, which shows that they're cooperating. And because they're co- the government tried to do it on their own and they failed, sh- surprise, surprise. So now they need Ant Financial to do it. And um, uh, it will be in their interest now to see Ant Financial succeed and to see BABA succeed. And that's why I think the IPO will go forward. That's why I think the $2.8 billion anti-monopoly fine is in the rear view mirror. There will be guide rails, but the more regulation there is, the more Alibaba gets bigger and small players can't enter, to, in, enter in the space. And then the final reason was Charlie Munger bought it in Q1 for Daily Journal, which is his public investment vehicle, and he made it 20% of the portfolio. It's his second or third largest position behind the banks. And uh, so you can buy uh, Alibaba today not only at a discount uh, relative to three years ago, so you get double the business for the same price, but you could also buy at a discount to Charlie Munger's new position in Q1. And to me, that that always makes sense. Um, uh, particularly if you had bought uh, BYD, the battery maker, the Chinese battery maker, when, when Charlie was uh, 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 doing it to for berkshire you would have made a tremendous amount of money he's close friends with lilu who is the best hedge fund manager in china and uh and a huge proponent of alibaba and knows the inside track of everything that's going on so i can't have that kind of perfect information but they can and uh and 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 it makes sense from this standpoint so um i want to thank yang yang the producer. Jung-Soo Meng, the TV producer, will be on uh, Bloomberg TV July 20th. Um, and then um, also Venus Fang and Abhishek Vishnoi, because I believe they had me in their article, their Bloomberg article that led to the radio and the TV uh, appearance. So uh, the, the radio and future TV appearance. So thanks to them i uh, also want to thank lydia Moynihan who moved over to the new york post from fox business and she is just crushing it with all of her articles and she asked me to be in one of them this was related to um the uh, travel business travel there was a survey out that business travel is down and everyone is pessimistic on business travel and when you look at the tsa numbers I think when she called me, it was like four or five days ago. Yeah, it was Monday, and the uh, business travel was 2.1 million TSA pass-throughs versus 2.7 for the same day pre-pandemic in 2019. We've hovered above 2 million, so we're starting to close in. But the survey that she was quoting was saying that, you know, uh, will companies go back? They're saving so much money not traveling and i i I think the other gentlemen who were quoted were kind of like yeah the world's changed forever etc but i i think that sounds more like people felt after 9 11 and sure enough it comes back sooner or later i think in this case it's going to come back much sooner and the reason is while everyone says i want to spend 24 hours a day with my family every day after a year of doing so many people just wouldn't mind doing a two-day road trip uh, to go get some business and what I said is, sure, these, these companies will save money on travel until they start losing business. Uh, Tom Hayes, founder and uh, managing member of Great Hill Capital, tells The Post, no one in their right mind wants to get on a Zoom call anymore. They want to get a steak dinner. So that was my quote. Thanks to Lydia for having me on uh, or uh, quoting me in her article. And then this is the Bloomberg article that led to the radio and the TV uh, I was talking about Chinese stocks, and this article was by Ishika Mukherjee and Moxie Ying. Thanks to Ishika and Moxie for having me in the article. And I said, yield-sensitive groups, which fell on inflation and tightening fears earlier this year, tech, utility, staples, healthcare, could begin to outperform the groups that led in the beginning, i.e. banks and energy. Uh, and... Um, and uh, raised their allocation to Chinese tech stocks after the Fed's move, particularly Alibaba Group. He said, citing cheaper prices after the recent sell-off. Uh, no question, Alibaba is our number one position. So um, uh, yeah, that's a good thing. All right, uh, and then finally, I want to thank um, I want to thank Devik Jain and Meta Singh for quoting me today in Reuters uh we were quoting some of the uh, inflation data earlier i said the data is giving people a breath of fresh air and that the inflation fears may be a little overblown says thomas hayes you had this divergence of opinion among fed members and what everyone seems to forget is that chairman powell is driving the bus and he has the pedal to the metal uh, so we've covered that here's the splunk move from 110 to 140 so that's that's moving in the right direction and now we're going to get to the ask me anything qu- part of our podcast video cast. the questions have been phenomenal this week we're going to take all of them we had um quite a few one, two, three, four, five. <clears throat> First one uh hi mr hayes my name is marat asatron asat asatrion uh, so thanks, Marat. Just want to say that I wait for your podcast at the end of the week, every week, in order to get my head straight with what is happening in the markets. Thank you so much. I have two questions. Oh, so six questions then. <laughs> One is that with the possibility of the Fed lowering the bond purchases, that's tapering, reducing their bond purchases from $120 billion a month to less, would it be all right to buy companies such as BXMT which is the BlackRock Mortgage Trust, which hold large mortgage portfolios as the spread, would most probably get larger. And so they would be able to make more money. And also, where can a future hedge fund manager be able to find investors other than friends or family? Um, Okay, so two questions. Uh, Good questions. Um, BXMT. Okay, so this has had a huge run. Um, pre-pandemic highs was 35. It's back up there. These, ironically, I, I understand your point about the spread. Uh, these will largely trade um, on the basis of their yield. So, so let me just take a look at what the yield is here. Um so as rates go up, which is your your point, is that rates will go up sooner or later. Even in the short term, if they go in the opposite direction, um, the trend is probably up. So okay, so this instrument yields seven point five one percent right now. That's extremely valuable with a ten year yield around one hundred fifty three or one hundred fifty four basis points. I don't know where we closed today. So somewhere in there, um, as tapering happens and the long end blows out a little bit further the value of that seven and a half percent yield is going to go down irrespective of the internal spread that he's referencing between what they pay for capital and what they get from their investments uh in mortgage bonds so um so yes could this push a little higher you bet um could could it persist higher yes is this something that i'd really want to get a lot of exposure to here Probably, probably not. There are better things that are just getting started that we've been emphasizing. That that uh, I'd be more focused on at this stage. Will it work? I mean, could it push to thirty six or thirty eight over the next you know five or six months, perhaps? But I don't think it's the best use of capital. Um, uh, and where can a future hedge fund manager be able to find investors other than friends or family? Well, a lot of us start with friends or family. I, you know, um, I started with my own capital. So. What I, what I've found, you know, <laughs> well, this is going to be funny. Uh, one of my favorite movies when I was growing up was a movie called Swingers with, um, it's the clean version, with Vince Vaughn and John Favreau and their best buddies. And, uh, you know, they're going through, you know, dating ups and downs and making their way. They move out from... Uh, new york to california to become actors and you go through the whole scene of an up-and-coming actor long and the short of it is mikey is the name of john favreau trent is vince vaughn they get in vince vaughn's convertible Fairlane lane to go from california to vegas uh overnight as so many uh young californians do they make the the trek and, uh, as they're getting close and you can see the lights of the strip come up and they're in their beautiful convertible. They've just driven for, you know, they, they start the, the journey. They're so excited by the end of, you know, as they're getting close, they're like falling asleep. It's probably two in the morning. And, um, Mikey starts to see Trent's driving. Mikey starts to see the, the lights and, um, and Mikey's like, Trent, Trent, pull over. You got to put your suit on. You got to put your suit on. And Vince Vaughn is like, what do you mean? Why do I need a suit? You know, this is this. And sure enough, he goes, listen, Trent, the reason you have to wear a suit is you got to walk in there like you own the place. Because the way it works is when you don't need the S-H-I-T, they give you the S-H-I-T, i.e. the comps. And it sounds like such a simple line, but it is the most profound metaphor for life. When you don't need the capital and when you don't need the additional clients, that's when it just starts to flow in from left and right. So, And why wouldn't you need the clients? Because you're so good at what you do that you don't need outside capital. And um, that's far more important than where do you go to network or where do you... Um, Show your little pitch book or whatever that none of that stuff is is really valuable I mean can you go do a sales process and all that stuff? Yeah, some people do that and and many people probably do that better than I do I've never been about that. I just do what I do and it spreads by word of mouth Uh, That's the most important thing So the number one advice I'd give to you Marat is make sure your performance is Stellar make sure your process is proven and rock-solid and um, and that you have all the confidence in the world to start with your friends and family if you don't have a tremendous amount of capital on your own. But you better have a track record record on your own or it's too early to start your own shop. Go work somewhere else. Go learn your process. Go go study and experience more. If you do have a track record, then just keep growing your own capital grow the few people you who have started with you if they're friends and family and if you do a good job for people they will recommend you it's just inevitable it's the law of reciprocation if you do a great job and add more value than they could ever imagine then they will not only add capital to you they will suggest you to the to your friends and it will grow by word of mouth so um you know and and this is also in line with a mentor i had in my early 20s a guy named jim roan who was also a mentor to. Tony Robbins, and he has a famous quote he said, "Success is not to, not to be pursued it's to be attracted by the person you become and I think in the context of growing a hedge fund business, um, yeah, you can go out and pursue clients and you know try to join all the right clubs and network and yada yada yada, but by and large, if your process is right, if you love what you do, if you do it twenty four hours a day, if you have the performance." You know, one, you'll be your own best client and you won't need outside money. And the minute that happens, like Mikey said to Trent, when you don't need the S, they give you the S. <laughs> and, and we're not talking about some free chicken dinners in Las Vegas. We're talking about assets. Um, that's when it just starts to flow. And that's just a function of how well have you developed your process? How, long, how well have you developed your skills? How is your performance? And if you have the performance, you'll never have to worry about capital. It will come by word of mouth, over and over, and if you want to, you know, do a whole sales process and pursue people, you can do that too. But um, it's it's really not needed if if the if the product's good. Basically, you want to get so good uh, in your abilities over time that it would cost someone too much money not to put money with you even if they hated you they would have to put money with you because it would be far too costly to consider the other alternatives and then that question won't become a factor moving forward so if you're there in your process then uh you 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 won't have any problems if you're not there then you just need to keep learning developing experiencing and growing and that's time don't be in a rush you know, um, there's plenty of time and um, and, and keep getting better and, and you'll get you'll get exactly where you want to go. So great question from Marat. Now we're going to move to question number two or questioner number two. Uh, ben, first name only, please. Hey, Tom, podcast question, please. What's your latest thoughts on when an agreement with Iran will be reached causing oil to drop? And what's your best guess on the range of the oil drop? Thank you, Ben. Well, it's funny you bring that up because in that Bloomberg radio interview, I actually covered the black swan because they were all excited on uh, energy. And I said, uh, basically, with everyone excited at 73, no one wanted it at 30 and 20 and 10. When we were talking about Exxon, everyone wants it at 60, 70 and 80. And uh, with 73, there's all the articles coming out, oil going to 100. And usually when you have that much late money reluctantly forced into a group that they didn't want to be in, they get shaken out. And I think what no one's paying much attention to is the fact that this new administration is Iran friendly. They're going to wind up doing a deal. And when they do, in the short term, the three to five year trend is up. There's no question supply demand dynamics, restrictions on drilling. Uh, etc. But in the short term, I think they're going to take the stuffing out of all this late money that's come in in the last four to six weeks after many of these names are up 75, 100, 150, in some cases 200 percent off of the pre-election lows, when we were talking energy and oil like crazy, and everyone was saying that it's all it's all over, just like they were saying about banks. So I would strongly urge you to listen to this, uh, the seven-minute version. Don't listen to the commercial version; it'll drive you crazy. Uh, I can't even listen to that, but um, but but the seven-minute version for sure. Now, the Iran deal. There was a a note out today on Bloomberg, Iran misses deadline to renew nuclear monitoring pact. So there's been some back and forth about this. It's been delayed. um, And uh, they're saying, well, you can inspect certain things. And this is just a posturing that they did before the the pre-Trump administration dumped uh, a bunch of uh, platforms of uh, what do they call those, pallets of cash they dumped out of the back of an airplane on a tarmac uh, to basically pay them off to allow access and, and do that deal. I think it was $180 billion. I could I could be wrong on that, but, you know, it's five, six years ago. So expect something along those veins. And uh, this is how they posture. And this type this particular administration is going to be amenable to that. They've wanted to do a, a deal so Iran will just say I'm closing you out until you give me money and you release the sanctions. The minute they remove the sanctions, Iran's going to dump a ton of oil on the market. What do I think it, it does to the price of oil? Um I, you know, I think it, I said at the Bloomberg interview it could be $5 5 to $10 a barrel, but to individual energy stocks that you know, you're probably looking at a you know, 5 to 10 to 20% uh correction. So like I like I've been emphasizing um we think that the cyclicals will take a breather. That could mean sideways. It could be down over the summer. We think some of these yield-sensitive groups will do better. I also wanted to just show you one of the things we look at when it comes to commodities, certain commodities, is what are the commercial hedgers doing, and um, they're they're selling and they tend to sell ahead of you know short-term tops uh, when you get a weakness, you know. Again, see here, they're, they're selling ahead, and then it rolls over, selling ahead and it rolls over. Uh, and they're they're kind of doing that here, selling ahead and rolls over. I, I think that's inevitable, and I think the Iran deal is gonna be the catalyst. Now, do I see 80 to $100, $100 plus, three to five years out, and some of these oil stocks up another 50 or 100%, you bet. And we'll probably use the shakeout to add back a lot of these. We've trimmed a number of cyclicals, not meaningfully, but modestly, uh, over the last uh, month or so in anticipation since we've been talking on this, this uh, podcast video cast, And we look to add back because we like them long term. Uh, moving on to the next question. Um, Macal, let's see, uh, he didn't specify if he wants his full name said, so I'm going to just say Macal. Hi, Tom. I'm a big fan of your podcast. I'm very grateful for all it's taught me. I was wondering, how do you go about identifying opportunities for investing? I understand your thesis for investment in particular stocks such as Splunk, Alibaba, or Novartis, but what brings your attention to them and at the right time? Do you have a screener of, say, X amount of stocks that you know well and look at weekly? Thanks for sharing your wisdom. Uh, Yeah, I have this very, very fancy screener. Here it is. You go to finviz.com and I just sort by large cap, and I uh, uh, sort with stocks over $2. Why do do I do large cap, and why do I do over $2? Uh, Two reasons. Number one, liquidity, so I can put on size. Number two, um, if I want to express the position through options, uh, there will be a deeper market and better pricing for the options. So um, so I can do that better through large cap. Number three, better information is available to me. Um, it's more efficient. And, um, and so that's how I do it. Now, what do I look at on a weekly basis? Nothing. What do I look at on a, on a daily basis? A thousand stocks every single day. So when you pull up large cap, you'll see thirty nine pages of twenty five stocks And I just go through them and I do it in ascending. I think it's ascending. I don't know what it is. The ones that have gone up the most for the day are on the first page, whatever they call that. Um, Descending, doesn't matter. Uh, But I like to start at the back. I like to look at everything that's gotten beaten up. And then, you know, I'll look at it. This is a daily. You can also switch to weekly weekly. And I just look at what's down. And and it doesn't matter. I don't buy something because it's down. That's where I start the process. Why is it on sale? Does it deserve to be on sale? Is it persistent? Uh, and, you know, I'll just write down whatever, 20 or 30 tickers out of, you know, 1,000. Um, and then I start to – that's when the research starts. There's no – you know, magic oscillator or anything like that. I do have a good feel for sector rotation. That's my knitting. I think I do that as well as anyone uh, in the business and, and and very well. It's just a kind of just developed over the years. And I know that that's my huge competitive advantage. Um, uh, and uh, but, you know, I, I basically am a top down bottoms up. And then i'll just start start my research process on you know 10 stocks and you know it's like buffett he did a five billion dollar deal during the great financial crisis while he was in his bathtub uh over the phone without looking at any financials without doing this and and they're like well how could you put five billion dollars to work in five minutes he goes because i've been following the same companies for 40 years i know them like the back of my hand and it's the same thing you've seen enough cycles you, you obviously you confirm it with research and you do the background but you just need to observe uh, you know observation is the is the abs, absolute critical key to to mastery over time you just observe cycles you what works when and then you drill down and you start your basic fundamental research. Read the annual report. Start to read all of the earnings call transcripts. Uh, start to look at the earnings and cash flow per share over the last 10 years. Look at the range of multiples it's traded in uh, on on average over the last 10 or 20 years. Is it towards the top end or the bottom end? Why is that? What What is the discount rate? How's the sector doing? Is it cheap for a reason? Is it going to stay cheap? Is it going out of business? Is it a sector that's done for good? Um, so you have to go through all of these things, and it just takes time and experience, and you have to douse yourself in like you are by listening to this. So you'll learn a lot doing this. But I go through these thousand stocks every single trading day. So um, – And I just see these and I've been doing it for years and years and years. So I just see things that happen over and over. You know, history doesn't repeat, but it definitely rhymes. And um, another thing you can do, you know, I I tell every new person, you know, uh, read The Institutional Investor by Benjamin Graham. Um, securities analysis, if you want to, on top of that, that'll give you a deeper understanding, read every annual report, uh, every annual letter that Warren Buffett's ever written, you can find them at Berkshire And then if you're still serious, start to read the CFA books, and you do those four things, that's the basis, you know, 99% of the people I tell that to won't do it because you know, it's just they think it's their passion because you can make a lot of money. But when it comes down to doing the work, they realize they're not really passionate about it. And maybe they go start a tech startup that does uh, gene editing and they make, you know, they become the next uh, Elon Musk. And, uh, you know, the other the other thing that's very interesting, there was an article uh, this week in the New York Post that said – uh warren buffett's given away half of his shares and it listed the and he's worth a hundred billion dollars so you know a lot of people are so excited about jeff bezos and so excited about elon musk and i'm a huge elon musk fan and, and the whole thing but um after reading his book i was like mixed mixed bag beforehand like not mixed bag agnostic like didn't love him didn't not love him uh but after reading the book i really have a tremendous amount of respect for him i Totally recommend that book to everyone. I think it was written three years ago. It's the only one about him, Uh, and it covers a a lot on SpaceX. But what people realize, and people give Buffett a lot of slack, like, "Well, he's underperformed the S and P for the last twenty years." Well, it's the law of large numbers. You know, it's very, it's, it's easier to outperform when you 're managing a hundred million dollars than it is when you 're managing ten billion dollars and it 's much harder to outperform when you got you know uh, you know a two hundred and fifty billion or a five hundred billion dollar company and all those assets to put to work. However, if you add back the stock that he 's given away he 's still the richest man in the world he he gave away half of his shares over the last fifteen years. Uh, otherwise, he'd be worth over $200 billion, and he'd probably be number one on the Forbes 400 because uh, neither, Tesla, neither Musk nor Bezos has given a, a, a material amount of their wealth to charity, although Bezos had to give a decent chunk to divorce, uh, which is winding up going to charity. So uh, I think... For my money, in terms of business and understanding business, you're not going to get a more valuable lesson than reading Buffett's annual letters. And he's still, in my book, you know, the richest man in the world. So uh, uh, I, I would I would think about it that way. But you 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 have to go through the process. You have to do the fundamental analysis. You have to listen to the conference calls. Uh, and yeah, do I look for things that are cheap? You bet. So here's one, RLX. you know, And I like Chinese stocks, but I look at this, it's trading at five times sales. It's a vaporless uh, thing. So I, I take a pass. I take a pass on a bunch of these. Uh, some of these education stocks are getting kind of interesting because I think they're pricing in um, worse than the worst case scenario, which likely won't come to pass in terms of uh, Chinese regulation. But that's a whole nother hour call, which we're not going to do right now. But I think that's a great question, and, uh, and I appreciate you asking. I wish I could give you a quick, easy answer, but it's not the way it works. Otherwise, everyone would be having the same level of success. Um, okay, Shannon, uh, let's see. He didn't specify first or last name. So Shannon, I, uh, Tom, understanding we think the Fed does not make any moves until early next year. Curious your thoughts on positioning for higher rates versus a steeper yield curve. Okay, this is a good question. Number one, would have thought the Fed announcement last week would have at least kept rates flat. And yes, we have made back much of Friday's drop. So do we think the big drop at the end of last week was merely the poison apple delivered by the three wicked witches? I guess he's he's referring to Bullard and uh, a couple of the – Rosengren and uh, a couple of the other hawks. And two, as we look out towards next year when the Fed does begin tapering – How are you thinking about positioning for higher rates versus a steeper yield curve? As a simple example, and of course, there are so many more variables and differences in potential returns, but keeping all else equal, we can sell bonds regardless of duration, and if rates go up, we win. Uh, Or we can buy banks, rates go up, but curve flattens and we lose. Curious how you're thinking about positioning for this dynamic. Okay, so I'll give you the simple answer, Shannon. Uh, I think short-term rates are going to be stable in the summer, if not, go potentially lower in the short term. So I think uh, I think you could see as low as one hundred thirty-five bips on the ten-year, and then and that's why I like these, you know, tech, which has now moved up a bit in the last few weeks. We've been talking about for the last few weeks. I also think we're going to get a secondary. Remember, we got the big move off the lows in late February uh, for like six, eight weeks. And they've been consolidating sideways and been soft the last few weeks. Utilities, uh, some staples and some big pharma. I think they're all going to take another leg higher between now and the fall. And uh, an environment that would prompt that would be this kind of you know 130 to 150 or 160 range, but not much higher. I think as we move to the end of the year, as tapering becomes more imminent, and by the way, I, think, I don't think we get a real tapering plan in um, Jackson Hole at the end of August, which most people are looking for. I think that's pushed a little further out, which would create the environment for what I'm talking about. And towards the end of the year, as we get closer to reconciliation and the republicans realized they just got fleeced and uh they're you know four trillion of spending is coming with or without them uh then the market's going to come to terms with the amount of spending number one and uh the potentiality of tapering in q1 of 2022 and that's when the uh, rates are going up. And that's when the cyclical reopening trade is going to go from rest mode over the summer, if not, you know, slight weakness mode over the summer to roaring back strength, which I think persists for another few years as we're still only a year into the business cycle. So that's how I'm thinking about it. As far as um, bonds go, um, you know, I, I well, I think, you know, this this short you know we have this short term strength here i i wouldn't be buying a ton of bonds really at all um anyway uh and i think that any nice weakness in banks is to be bought now that said um we've been looking for this correction in banks, let's see. Let me pull this up. And we may it's it's unclear whether we, we may have gotten it all in a few days because the, the whole group corrected let me just pull this up. So this is the XLF. You know this this whole group corrected like 10% in the month of June, you know, from the you know in three weeks. So we did get that pullback. Um you know obviously the stress test results were positive they all passed with flying colors so they're going to be able to buy back stock and issue dividends that was kind of known so it was you know more or less uh yeah they were up a percent or something after hours but it was kind of buy the rumor sell the news now in the case of wells fargo they still have that asset cap removal catalyst so you know, if you get any real weakness in Wells Fargo, low 40s, high 30s over the next few months, I don't know if you will or you won't. Um, which is why we only trimmed modestly. Um, and you you already got this 15 20 percent move, and, which is already retraced. So we we may have got exactly what I was looking for. I, I don't think you're going to shoot up to the moon here. I, I think even if you're if it's a, if it's an uptrend here, it's going to consolidate sideways. I think there are other things that will perform. Better in the next few months than than banks and and the uh, and the cyclical trade. So we may have gotten a hundred percent of what we were looking for, uh, but I, I I just think there's there's a period of resting and regrouping and cre- uh, uh, consolidation before we get uh, rates going up again in the back half of the year and the reopening trade picking back up for another couple of years. So it's just better uses of capital uh, for some of it and other areas to take advantage of. Um, Okay, so here's a note about... Okay, uh, let's see. So uh, that answers Shannon's question. And then finally, Ben had a second question. What do you see for XLF financials in the coming days, weeks or over the summer in light of this late afternoon stress test results? So that's not... The late afternoon stress test results was not news. Um, You know... Obviously, it's better that they all pass with flying colors than they didn't. But I think the market kind of expected that. It's hard to say because I'm looking at, you know, what we, we, you know, it happened very, very fast is is really, I guess, the point. So you had a 10% correction in the sector. I think you could still see, you know, weakness could be lower prices or it could just be it could correct in time or in price. You could get further weakness through August, September, October area, and then a a year-end rally. Um, You could just grind sideways and correct in time like big tech has for the last 12 months, and now it's breaking out. Um, But I I just don't see an enormous amount of upside over the next three months. Uh, But, you know, we still hold the bulk of our core position. We've trimmed, but, you know, we still have the core because we we see over the next two, three years – uh, would I be buying a ton here? No. Maybe I'd buy City here if I had no financials exposure, but um, uh, better things to do with the money. I mean, better things to do with the money, and that's why we've been emphasizing Splunk and Baba and uh, some of these utilities that have really uh, come in a little bit and some staples and some uh, pharma. We still like uh, Pfizer and uh, Novartis we think has some more juice and and the reason being that all of the in person doctor visits are now you know just flying they've both got huge oncology portfolios many of those drugs need to be delivered uh, in person, and more doctors' visits will yield more tests, which will yield more demand for the product and uh and and that's that so uh so that's where we're focused so do we love energy and banks looking three years out you bet in the next three months do we love them I, you know we like them we still have a lot of exposure but we've trimmed back to put money in some of these groups that we think can do better in this short term um so great question from ben and thank you guys for doing that anyone who has questions next week just send them to um uh info at hedgefundtips.com or go to hedgefundtips.com and uh, hit the contact form. All right, a couple key things we want to cover here. Um, Nice underpinning to the market. Buybacks may prop up the stock market. That was rattled after the Fed meeting. So this chart from, uh, I think this is the guy over at S&P. What is his name? All right. Uh, Yeah, Howard Silverblatt, okay, legend. He's been around for decades. So this shows that buybacks are starting to come back materially and dividends. So we we think this is going to persist. It's nowhere near the 2018 levels yet. But uh, so that's kind of the underlying bid in the market. Uh, And then Barron's buybacks and dividends are on the way as banks pass the Fed stress test. Uh, Silverblad emphasizes that big tech is going to be doing a lot of buybacks. And then you also obviously add the banks. Here's one. Uh, Vertex approved a $1.5 billion buyback. They sold off on some drug news. Um, there are a lot of those type of, you know, like the Biomarins, etc. The Gileads that have just been in the penalty box for a year. They could start to move now in this environment. And then you've got, you know, the mixed messages from the Fed, you know, Kaskari opposed to rate hikes through at least 2023 versus Bullard saying 2022. Bostic Fed should avoid prematurely declaring a win in the jobs battle, so he's on the uh, the the uh, Powell train. Williams says more progress needed before rate hikes shift. So you know, it's basically evenly split, but Powell is is the decider, and and that's where it is. And my guess is, if he keeps the pedal on the metal, he's got a better than coin flip odds of being reappointed in February if he wants the job. Uh, he also has cover to do so because commodities have rolled over X Energy. Lumber continues to skid below $900 with the commodity in free fall from May highs. And this is the spunk news on Silver Lake, um, uh, You know, putting a billion in into the convert that converts at $160 per share. So there's a lot of upside and they'll be buying back stock to offset the dilution. So that was a nice catalyst. Um, Netflix, we talked about on the claiming content two weeks ago. They just got upgraded and they're flying a uh, slate of content, the um, the uh, international growth, etc. So they took the price target up to uh, 586 uh Amazon, we talked about, I think, two or three weeks ago on the claim countdown. And they just got upgraded after a 7% increase in prime day sales, having a new record and a $4,500 price target. So all of those things that we started talking about three to four weeks ago are now starting to come to pass in those groups. And, um, and that's that. Uh, and just going back to Macal. Uh, sure, you have the screeners, but uh, Peter Lynch has this great quote. Investing without research is like playing stud poker and never looking at the cards. You have to do the work. And the only way, you know, the only way you can have conviction, you know, why would you, you know, you buy Splunk at whatever, 112, it goes to 120, they... um The guidance is slightly lighter than expected, but everything else looks good. The thing pukes down to 111. Everyone else is dumping and you're buying. Why why can you do that? When you know what you own, you can do that. And you can take advantage of others' emotional decisions when you understand the underlying business and you can step in and and that only comes from research and experience and you just have to go through the process and that's why it's so important to love the game because it's a ton of work and uh, but it it doesn't feel like it when it when it feels like a treasure hunt every single day um okay now moving on to some chinese development uh, news uh xpeng xpev was one of the names we've been talking about for a number of weeks it leaps after receiving green light from regulators to raise up to 2.2 billion dollars uh jack ma's ant in talks to share data trove with state firms. This shows further cooperation, which I covered on the Bloomberg radio segment. And uh, what this also means as covered in Bloomberg, the changes at Ant, which included turning the company Info into a financial holding company overseen by China's central bank, could also bring it a step closer to an initial public offering. That's the name of the game. And what we're seeing here, here are the Chinese stocks this week. It was a great week. Look what's happening with BABA. We've been pounding the table on this. And sure enough, it's finally going here uh, from 210 to 228.50 this week, which is nice move. Uh, Baidu's moving. They're all starting to move. And some, like Li, which we talked about, and XPEV. they've already had huge moves. IQ is starting to tick up. Um uh Bealy is breaking out we didn't have any uh, Beely uh Tme is even getting a bid 10 cent music entertainment so it's starting to happen and I and I'm very excited to see this and I think we're gonna see some follow through in coming months so um so that's that uh what is this we uh, we covered that and uh. Ba-ba-ba. Eli Lilly. Oh, this is very interesting. I spent some time with uh, the former CFO of one of the biggest industrial companies in the world uh, when I was out in Omaha last week. And he made a point and he, he knows this space like the back of his hand. We were talking about the Biogen um, Alzheimer's approval. And while, you know, that the underlying science might be questionable, but it's moving the right direction. And he made a point that I had never considered and it was the most brilliant thing I'd ever heard is that if you get an Alzheimer's drug, the value of insurers that have been weighed down by their long-term care insurance exposure will explode in a positive way. So I thought about that. And then sure enough, this week, Eli Lilly surges after getting breakthrough therapy designation from FDA. Analyst raises price target and sees approval chance at 90% biogen plunges. If one of these drugs proves to be valuable for Alzheimer's, those insurers that have long-term care exposure, um, which is, and I didn't realize the vast majority of the cost is related to Alzheimer's care. So if these people get cured from Alzheimer's or it gets prevented with one of these drugs, they're not going to need the long t- you know, a, a, a big portion are not going to need the long term care facilities. And those uh, uh, insurers are going to make a ton of money because they'll continue to collect massive premiums and they won't have to deliver massive services. So obviously the biggest one that everyone knows uh, is Genworth. Uh, So we we just started nibbling. Look, this is something that's going to take years to progress. Uh, This is not a trade. This is a long-term investment. But if you believe in the Lilly or the Biogen or future ones coming, uh, I didn't understand the implication on the long-term care books because so many of those companies went out of business, uh, particularly in the great financial crisis. There are a number of publicly traded long-term care insurers that uh, just went belly up and the states had to take over the book. Um, there may be a huge opportunity for you know even astute private investors or um, uh, companies to start to buy these books because if this catalyst comes to bear – uh, that is, it's just going to be tremendous for the long-term care. So you just never know. Uh, you, you talk with smart people and you you, you hear ideas like this and it, it made a lot of sense. So don't have a you know crystal clear actionable plan, but it's something to keep an eye on as more of these Alzheimer's drugs get approved and start to make a difference, and that's very positive for a lot of families. Um, okay, so this is just an indicator we put out today by happenstance, and it just kind of shows that – while the NASX had a huge move in the last three weeks, uh, here's one indicator that says odds favor. There's, there's probably more gas in the tank in coming weeks. And this was the article of the week, uh, the Sam Hunt breaking up was easy in the '90s stock market and sentiment results. Uh, the point here is that there's been a lot of pessimism, particularly last Friday. Those trying to break up with the market, it was much easier in the 90s when there wasn't $120 billion a month in bond purchases and unlimited liquidity to save the day. The market continues to climb the wall of worry. We saw fear and greed gauges, you know, NASDAQ breaking out to new highs, and the fear and greed is at fear level 35. It's on a scale of zero is max fear to 100 is max euphoria. Uh, 35 is fear, and that was on the day that the NASDAQ was breaking out to new highs. So uh, the market continues to climb the wall of worry, supported by ample and unprecedented liquidity. And uh, we covered some of the, the key points of Powell's testimony and the implications. This um, this is interesting. On Friday, I was on standby to join the claim and countdown if the market continued tanking at the end of the day. It kind of held up at, at the last hour, so I didn't go on. But one of the things I was going to cover was that obviously you had the Bullard comments and you had Quadruple Witching Friday. But the NASDAQ advancing uh, – I'm sorry, the NYSE, NYSE – Advancing volume minus declining volume was at a low only seen several other times in the past two years, and you can see they were coincident with short-term lows, pretty much coincident with short-term lows, coincident with short-term lows. So that was the point I was going to make on Friday afternoon. This level really got accelerated, and and sure enough, we we saw the bounce this week, and um, and that was that. So we've covered a lot about Powell. This was the chart that w- that um, uh, Ishika covered and Moxie covered in the Bloomberg article they included me and I thought this was really valuable it shows the relative undervaluation of Chinese stocks to U.S. Asia stocks valuation gap to U.S. peers remains below historic average so there's usually a negative three turns three multiple spread U.S. trades at a premium to Chinese and Asia stocks. It's now gotten down to negative six. And this is what I like to do. I'm a mean reversion guy. I'm a sector rotation guy. When these things get out of whack, I look at the fundamentals, I say, are they gonna stay out of whack forever? Or is this just a, an emotional short-term extreme, short-term market's a voting machine based on emotions. Long-term, it's a weighing machine based on fundamentals. And I look at Alibaba's fundamentals, and I look at some of the other holdings that we have, and I say, I want exposure, and that's what we've been doing for the last month. And, uh, and and forget overshooting to the upside like you did in 2011 after the great financial crisis. If you just reverted to the mean, you know, two, three multiple turns to the upside has enormous implications for the leaders in the group. And that's what we're counting on. Um, so retail is still a little bit exuberant, 40 percent bullish. Fear and greed. This is what I was showing new highs on the Nasdaq. People are still scared, climbing the wall of worry and the National Association of Active Investment Managers. This is interesting because um, they – let me just get the update because that prints on Thursday and the article I write on Wednesday nights, but let's just see what it got to. I think they just puked out on Friday, which was good to see because now they got to chase up again. So, yeah, they puked down to 70 from 98 so this dropped to here, which is seventy, and that was largely a function of Friday. They all got scared up by quad witching. So if the Nasdaq pushes higher, they'll have to regain that exposure again. Um, the message of the week, Selective Tech, Baba. Netflix, Amazon, and Defensive selective utility staples and pharma is where we believe opportunity is right now for summer as cyclicals will likely shake out some of the late money in coming months before resuming their uptrend new highs later in the year. We're still in the early stages of a new business cycle. We've modestly trimmed taken profits on some of our cyclicals from last year in recent weeks, kept core positions, and will potentially add back to them in coming months on weakness. When you're ready to throw in the towel on the next pullback, remember Sam Hunt's soothing words. Breaking up was easy in the 90s at the end of a business cycle. It's much harder to bail just one year into a new business cycle coupled with unparalleled money supply growth. Uh, So that was that. Let's take a look at some of the unusual activity this week. Uh, A lot in Alibaba, believe it or not. Um, So here was 1,400 contracts. Uh, Las Vegas Sands, we like, uh, 15,000 contracts for September 55 call. Another baba today. This is nuts. It's June 2022, 1,700 contacts at a $410 strike, which means a basically a double from its recent low uh, inside of a year, uh, from their lips to God's ears, man. I'll, I'll have a, a – party at our uh place in connecticut for uh, all these po- well let me not make it any- anyway that would be amazing let's just put it that way uh all right so uh consumer staples earnings i covered um the 2021 earnings powers went up uh one percent for this group in the last 60 days for 2022 went up one percent but as we know uh while earnings are up in this group, in the last 60 days, the prices have been moderating to down, and that we see as an opportunity, and we've covered those in recent weeks. As for the economic data for the week, and by the way, if you're on the podcast, you're going to get cut off in a couple minutes. Just go to hedgefundtips.com, click on the video cast, fast forward to minute 60, and you'll be able to get the last few minutes um let's just cover some of the highlights existing home sales were good beat expectations 5.8 versus 5.7 huge draw in oil obviously demands coming back you see the traffic on the roads everywhere air travels coming back that's only going to get bigger as people want people people love Saving money and going on Zoom and businesses love that until they lose business to competitors who took their prospective clients out to a steak dinner. I can assure you that they'll all be back on planes buying steak dinners before you know it. And uh, what else? Continuing claims, again, uh, actually, continuing claims was positive. That came down better than expectations. Uh, Initial jobless claims missed expectations. So we'll keep an eye on that. Um, and then uh, durable goods orders were a little light and uh, core CPA price index came down a little bit so that was good from an inflation standpoint today personal income uh, felt too